Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. Uh, today, we have uh, a wonderful guest back. It's been far too long uh, to talk to us about books and Strixhaven, and I'm just so excited. Um, unfortunately, Hobbs could not join us today, but we have wonderful guest Morgan. Hi, thank you so much for that kind introduction. It's... Uh, Morgan was one of our first guests on our, our cast way back, I think, before. I think your episode with, with Orcish and you was 10. So <laughs> right at the beginning of the cast. We're in the, well, we're past 100 at this point. I haven't really been keeping track individually. It's It's been a while. It's weird how time moves like that. But uh, so today, like I said, we're talking about books. Uh, do my intro real quick, and then Morgan, you can give yours. Um, so I'm found on Twitter at Mel underscore Chronicler. Alex Newman is my name, which would be good to uh, include in my intro. My pronouns are he, him. Uh, and then we thought for the opening question today, it would be kind of fun to just talk about a book that we've been reading recently or something we'd recommend. And um, recently I've been um, starting to read some manga. It's a uh, manga. It's, it's a fandom. It's a thing that I've always been interested in, but never really found a good way to kind of get a handle on and get started in it. But last year with PAX Online, uh, Tokyo Pop, one of the big companies in America that that localizes uh, manga here, had a few panels and talked about some of their different series. And so I found a number that I've been reading. Um, but the one recently is called Still Sick, and it's it's a romance manga. Um, but it's it's just the like the nice feel good stuff that I've needed lately about uh, these two women who are coworkers and then accidentally kind of stumble upon learn that they both are fans of manga and, and one used to be a manga artist. One um, does kind of fan comics and things. And so the two of them start a friendship, sort of a relationship. And really it's, a, there's a lot of conversations about creative work and them supporting each other and things. And it was just, it was, it was really nice. <laughs> to, uh, how about yourself, Morgan? That sounds quite lovely. Um, so my name is Morgan Wentworth. I am at Morgan Tries on Twitter. I, uh, and I, oh, my pronouns are she, her. And I have been reading a lot of Agatha Christie lately, which is pretty good, but it's very like genre focused, which is nice for me because, you know, the, um, the kind of elements of the mystery genre that, have their origins in pop culture in a lot of ways in Agatha Christie books. So I can read, you know, 25 different Agatha Christie books, but they'll all kind of be feel familiar, even if I've mm -hmm. never read them before, which is nice. Yeah. Um, if you are not into that, um, I would also recommend A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. It is a, it's another one of those feel good um, books this time in the sci-fi genre and it's just a nice cozy like trip through space with a crew that all really cares about each other and they all are very like different and they all have their own stuff going on and you just kind of get to know them which is just wonderful all right i i've i've heard that name before but i have not checked that out but that is going on my list because that sounds really good yeah, it's it's also um, kind of on the shorter end, or it felt on the shorter end, which is nice because sometimes um, I find that having a lot of big books around is uh, not helpful for me to actually start reading the books that I have. Yeah, it can be a little intimidating sometimes. It's nice to have something smaller. And honest, that's that's something that I like about about reading manga now. They tend to be much shorter and it's you know it's um i should maybe explain that's a term that maybe not all of our listeners know it's it's a japanese comic book essentially like there's some different conventions that work a little differently but it's a graphic novel um from from japan at least the ones that i'm reading are, are japanese and then translated in, into english yeah those are always fun especially because you get so many books that are translated you get to see uh, aspects of other cultures that might not be included in um, books that are written in English about those cultures even by members of those cultures which is so it's, it's really fun I, I have also been in the manga game for a little bit yeah no it's in 
that's like I said, a whole a whole other thing. But um, we could probably sit here and recommend books back and forth. <laughs> Uh, maybe we should try to get to, you know, before we tangent too hard as as we tend to, let's uh, get on topic and then we can tangent from the topic that tends to be our, our goblin way. <laughs> so um, you recently on, on Twitter had this big long thread where you talked about all the books of Strixhaven. And we love story stuff, particularly when we can have great, wonderful guests like yourself. And it's cool, fun things. So we thought this would be a great episode. Um is there a place you want to start? Yeah, I think I, I will start by explaining my bona fides, especially um, if people have started listening to your podcast since way back when, when I was last on. Um, I've been collecting cards with books in the art uh, for nearly f- like four or five years now. Um, I have like 500 of them. I am by no means done collecting them. Um, but one of my favorite things to do is just pull up a, like a Scryfall set gallery and look for car, uh, cards that have books hidden in the art. And on top of that, after I started collecting cards with books in the art, I decided to go to school for library sciences. So um, uh, now that I have my master's degree, I am officially a master of library inf- and information science. And um, not only do we talk about books and cataloging and the Dewey Decimal System and all of that, but also the relationship that people have with books and information. So I have uh, a bit of an academic background for my interest in books as well. You know, I thought Warden of Geometries was my favorite title, but I think Master of Library and Information Science might be my new favorite it's, title. <laughs> it's, it's, it certainly feels good to put in the signature of my of my emails at work. Yeah, that's that's really cool. And did, did you have? I, I believe when we talked last time, you said that you you have a commander deck that's all made out of these cards with books, correct? Yeah, so one of the nice things about cards with books in the art is uh, there's a lot of them, and they're in every color, and so what I will do sometimes, and at the time, I had a Hana Ships Navigator commander deck, uh, which was a fun blue-white commander deck, and then I moved on to build a blue-red artifacts deck uh, with Taunos, who did some fun things with artifacts, and I... My most recent build has been Chilane, uh, which is a Bant deck, mostly because it gave me an excuse to run all of the copies of Tamiyo that I own, uh, which <laughs> nice. uh, Tamiyo is the kind of storyteller slash historian of the Planeswalkers. So she always has a couple of books in tow. Yeah, and I still think her the description of her spellcasting in the um, Return to Innistrad block, uh, the Shadows of Innistrad block is was one of my favorite bits of magic fiction that I've read. That was just incredible to me with how she kind of tells these stories and it casts spells and she had stories from all these planes, which, you know, as a planeswalker makes it much easier to gather stories like that. It was just, I thought that was so cool. Yeah, it really reminds me of when I was a kid and you would read the introduction to the big book of Grimm's fairy tales that, you know, it felt like there always was one of those around. Um, And they would talk about how they would go and talk to people and collect stories. And this is uh, just a a bigger, a bigger scale. And um, which is which is great and which is why I always get excited for new set releases because I get to see like what kind of stories are around and what kind of relationship the people of that set have with books which kind of brings us into Strixhaven which I was um you could you could say I was very excited when I heard that there was going to be a set that was centered around a school because the possibilities for uh, books being in the art of these cards and being kind of mechanically relevant was very high. Um, the last time I had a set that had like that much potential was Throne of Eldraine, which was a, like kind of a fairy tale based set, and it did it did do some cool things related to fairy tales, but didn't do much with physical books. Yeah. 
Okay. Cool. Do we want to talk about like the world of Strixhaven and kind of what they have going on here? I know in the notes you said something about how each college interacts with books. I think that's a good. Yeah, I I would love to. So Strixhaven is uh, really cool. It is on the plane of Arcavios, which um, also has a little bit of a play on words. Uh, it sounds like archive to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, a little bit of a tie-in there as well, but it is a university, and um, the, the 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 setup of Strixhaven is interesting. You uh, start out your year, uh, your first year, with being undeclared, more or less, so you don't belong to a college, but then based on kind of what things you're interested in doing and what things that you excel at, you will then enter one of the five colleges. And uh, the way that the set is uh, set up, it is an enemy colored set. So um, it the, the color combinations are black, white, uh, black, green, green, blue, uh, blue, red, and red, white. And the kind of interesting thing about enemy colors is the, the focus with those pairs um, is how they kind of contrast and like where the um, where the tension is between those two colors versus, um, for example, a blue-white uh, color combination will think about things that blue and white are in harmony with. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting uh, in that way. But mm-hmm. um, one of the fun things about Strixhaven is it's <laughs> when you're given a set of kind of different uh, groups, people tend to identify more strongly with one of the groups over the others. Mm-hmm. And I'm no different. I think it's interesting because I I like the lore hold with their kind of um, interest in history more, but I literally have a tattoo of a book with a silver quill on it, <laughs> on my <laughs> arm. <laughs> That I got far before we knew anything about Strixhaven. Mm-hmm. And I also am interested in writing. <laughs> yep. And so words. It, it, I, I think I'm in a in a similar boat. Well, one of the, the conversations that Hobbs and I have a lot, and actually we talked about um about Strixhaven specifically, is talking about color identity and things. And something for me is I, I think by and large, I, I'm more red white, but I'm not Boros. And so we've kind of had the conversation about for a long time. For the most part, we've really only had one version of every color pair, and this is really exciting because all five of these color pairs are a different take. All five of these schools are a different representation of the color pairs, and some of them very different. I think, you know, arguably black-green is, is fairly similar, but there's a different emphasis than the Golgari. Um, but especially like Lorehold, like I really fit, I think I really fit with the Lorehold even though it's the same color combination as Boros where I really don't. And so I, I, I love seeing that ex- sort of expansion of, of what these two colors can kind of do together. Yeah. It's I like, I agree with you that the way that they have uh, changed up the way, what these color pairs represent um, to explore a different facet of the combination is really cool. And um, the the color combination also kind of um, relates to how these color pairs use books, and uh, so that that really does uh, transition us into the uh, the what the, the next topic. I I have not podcasted in a long time. I don't know if you can tell. Uh, that's that's okay. I'm as, as I told you before the show. I'm I'm moving tomorrow. Well, tomorrow in my time. By the time y'all hear this episode, I'll have moved. But so I'm I'm also not in the. Uh, I'm a little discombobulated now, just with the half state of my apartment in the being packed to unpacked, and so it's it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So what I wanted to kind of explore first was we can talk about the different colleges of Strixhaven in relation to their relationship with books as well as how 
the magic that they get from books and words and information kind of translates to the real world, which is something that I didn't really think about until Hobbes dropped it into the uh, group chat. But there is a lot of uh, really cool um, connections that people can draw. So I'm um, going to start with Silver Quill because I think that one is one of the uh, most direct, shall we say, um, because the Silver Quill, one of the types of magic that the Silver Quill use is literally shaping ink using magic to, so the ink will either become inklings, which are uh, in the game to one flying tokens, or it, the the mad the ink will manifest itself into other shapes that um, do magic. They will also uh, perform, uh, so like give speeches, for example, or they will write their own works. So, for example, Dean Ambrose, one of the like, head honchos of Silverquill, is a poet. He's a he is a master poet, um, and. So all of these are related to books because you can get, you can read um, particularly powerful passages from books. Um, you can use your ink to kind of create the magic in the books. And this is kind of a fun trope that I like in fantasy in general is the living ink. Mm -hmm. um, because the books kind of become the vessel that the magic is literally contained in and this is seen in real life because um you and i probably have both well, i've made correct me if i'm making a big assumption here but we've both been moved emotionally in some way or another by a book or even by a movie because movies are a form of media that we use to communicate. And even if they don't really appear in, in Strixhaven, they are a way that people transmit ideas. So Ooh, yeah, uh, certainly. And uh, Strixhaven that or silver quill is about kind of affecting emotions yeah. and getting that empathy. So there's, a, there's a quote I want to share with you. And I honestly, I can't remember which writer it might've been Elizabeth moon. Um, or maybe Mary Robin at Kowal, but there, there's a writing convention I go to that's this local here in Minneapolis. And um, one of them, at one point, they're on a panel talking about writing, and they described writing as long-distance mind control. <laughs> because you can put words down on a book, and somebody, you know, years later, miles away, reads those words, and it puts an idea in their head. Yes, exactly. And that's one of the... Um, hallmarks of one of the characters, especially in Silverquill, Brina the demagogue, who is so charismatic that uh, anything that she desires, she'll get from you and you'll think it was your idea. Um, and that kind of that kind of idea is really I I freaking love it. Maybe I am Silverquill. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I appreciate it. And also using the word demagogue, I appreciate that too. So yeah, there's some it's, good word choices in the names in, in some of the stuff in this set. There's definitely uh, an idea of your words can not only like affect people, but they can persuade them or they can. Uh, one of the things that the Silver Quill do is they speak truths about systems and um that kind of comes from the white side that uh is interested in justice where they will use their words to reveal unjust systems and things like that so it's it's really it's really neat i i like the silver coal a lot it turns out fair enough that's that's another one like for a long time black white was probably one of my favorite color combos to play um, and I even enjoy a lot of the Orzov stuff, but just flavorfully, the Orzov is a hard guild for me, at least, to sort of identify with. But I, I like the Silver Quill a lot. <laughs> um, moving on, we will head to the Prismari, which when Hobbes suggested I talk about 
real world <laughs> applications for these. Um, I was a little bit worried about this one because they are blue red and usually blue red is where you see the most books. Think of the art for a card like Frantic Search where a wizard is literally tearing out pages of a book to find the spell that they're looking for. But the Prismari are more, um, they're more to, uh, oriented towards performance, which uh, brings in uh, television, actually, and the theatrical performances in the real world where um, you can be affected by the things that you're watching on stage in this case. But also, <laughs> the Prismari tend to express themselves through their performances. So not only are you getting like the pleasure of listening to music or the pleasure of seeing a fireworks display, but the Prismari are putting themselves into their work. And that is another really great example of how media can serve multiple purposes. So if I were to write a book, for example, um, I might be doing that just to get the things from my brain out and, and, and into the world, as opposed to, you know, writing a book to inform others. I, I think the Prismari are cool, but this is definitely one that I, I'm, I'm not a big performance person. And um, I like, is it, is it is probably the closest guild for me, which is, is interesting to then we go to Strixhaven and, and definitely not, the Prismari for me, they're cool. I think it's great. And I love this idea of them having the theater and the performance element. Um, but that's just, that's just not me. <laughs> Despite the fact that I'm, I'm on a podcast so that it's, it's <laughs> less sort of my, my mode of, of creative outlet. I have a kind of personal question for you, Alex, and feel oh, free sure. to not answer it or edit it out. If you'd like, have you ever, heard a, a piece of music either like a pop song or even like an instrumental piece that just sends tingles through your skull your scalp and you can't help but move uh i i don't know it's the help but move maybe not mm -hmm. a little bit but i i've i Music definitely moves me, but not usually physically, much more emotionally. Um, there definitely is music that has moved me emotionally, um, but not in, in the physical way. Very interesting. I think, see, and that's where I think the Silver will come in more, is the emotional aspect. Whereas the Prismari are kind of the tingle in your scalp that in my case, at least, mm -hmm. causes me to bust out dancing and scare my dog. <laughs> uh, and one of the things that um, the Prismari are also kind of known, not known for, but the mechanically the Prismari encompass in Strixhaven is big magic. And so some of the implications for this and why it's kind of difficult for me to connect um, physical, literal books to the Prismari uh, is just the scope or the scale of their <laughs> spells. Uh, they're, uh, they're, you know, casting spells that cost seven or eight or ten mana. And um, the reason that they're doing this is because they feel so strongly that they cannot, uh, that their, their emotions can't be contained in just a small, like, thing that you would write down in a book which is i think a, kind of a fun concept but mm -hmm. i i agree where it, it wouldn't be me <laughs> yeah and that's it's really interesting from from a color pie standpoint too because that's a very a very red red tends to be the color of emotions and blue tends to not be and that's kind of where their contention tends to be mm -hmm. but this is it's, it's it, a different way to it and you know now that i think about it, it it's kind of the opposite of is it where is it is kind of it's a very red expression of blue ideals. I think Prismari might almost be a blue expression of red ideals. 
don't know, I haven't explored that a lot, but it, it, this is it. It's just, I love these different looks at how these colors operate in a different context too, because now we're on, we're in a school as opposed to the city world where there are guilds that are part of the structure of a society. Um, but it's, it's interesting to kind of see how they at, interact different ways. Very much. Um, the next is Loreholds, the one where you and I, we've already talked about this a little bit, but uh, Loreholds is the uh, red and white school uh, college and um, they are the college that works with history and spirits. And the, the Loreholds will uh, summon spirits from relics and pieces uh, that they find in archaeology. Um, they will uh, replicate uh, <laughs> historic battles and so on. Um, and I was thinking about this while I was walking my dog today, and it kind of reminds me of the people in school who are really, really into history to the point where they could recreate historic battles based on accounts from uh, firsthand accounts from historical figures. You see a lot of this in Latin because a lot of the uh, sources in Latin, when they weren't religious uh uh, people, people who are uh, writing about religion. They were people like Julius Caesar who are writing about how they conquered Gaul and they did a very, very good job. And uh, one of the questions that I immediately had with Lord Holt was, um, you know, are the scrolls an accurate representation of that history or are they, you know, history as it was written down by the people who want to be seen in the future as uh, really, really good at their job, you know? Yeah, that is, that's an interesting, especially with, with the way Lord Holds represented, as you say, they, they summon spirits of the past. They may or may not, depending on how things work out in the world building and, and, and specifics of stuff, uh, they may or may not have more accurate, um, or, or let's say, uh, complete accounts of, of things that, you know, we just couldn't do that in the real world. We can't, some of the spirits of people who are around to, to share their side of the story. All we have is kind of the written accounts that have been saved because that's not even all of the stuff that's been written down. It's just whatever has been, people have been able to save for, you know, hundreds or thousands of years, depending on what history you're, you're looking at specifically. Yeah. And so the kind of real life equivalent to that is just not looking at just one source. So whereas, you know, a lore hold magician could, uh, take a single scroll and recreate an entire battle, and it might be wholly accurate. What we as historians would need to do is hopefully have sources of information from both sides of the battle and incorporate um, knowledge of tropes that military writing had at the time. So you'd be able to translate, maybe somebody would talk about the number of people that were in the battle and you would know, oh, well, in uh, late antiquity, they tended to exaggerate <laughs> the amount of people that were they were fighting against by, you know, a scale of 10 to 100. So we would have to consider that and kind of like run it through uh, uh, several different lenses to... Um, to kind of get to a point where we would feel comfortable saying that we have as accurate a picture of the past as possible. And I don't know if you could tell, but when I was in undergrad, I studied Latin. <laughs> and so we did a lot of work with these primary sources and a lot of um, you and a lot of what we were translating took not only knowledge of the language, but also knowledge of well, at this time, there was this big kind of more return to puritanical values. And so people were writing more as if they were writing from ancient Greek times, even though this was, you know, past when Christianity started, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and it was it was very it was very interesting. And the lore holds kind of speak to me in that way, because, you know, I I sound skeptical about it, but I would love to be able to you know fire up a machine and hear about uh, 
the the blood age combat techniques that they that were used uh for example <laughs> because one of the characters like one of the named characters is a golem from the blood age which is you know way back in the day uh for arcavios and it would talk to the students and, and actually like basically teach them history from the point of view of someone who was there nice that's that's so cool yeah and i um never actually finished my degree but i, I was studying philosophy and took a lot of ancient philosophy classes and that's so reading you know some of the greek in particular philosophers is kind of where, where i a lot of my classes were and um so have a tiny piece of, of what you're saying about the just the context you might have you know a source written by someone who lived then but that doesn't necessarily mean there's a lot of context around it beyond just what the words that they specifically wrote that we just don't have culturally today unless you go and you find these things and you immerse yourself in more of that yeah and like because one of the interesting things is you can read something like for example the ship of theseus because that's the you know philosophy concept du jour right um and think that you know this is like a really profound thing but it turns out it's basically the equivalent of a law and order svu episode that is ripped from the headlines where mm -hmm. if you were around the day that episode came out you would know that it was basically based on something that happened three months ago. Um, I'm not saying that is true about the ship yeah. of Theseus, but you, there, there was like, there could have been uh, some big legal battle that was basically, you know, I replaced the X, Y, and Z on this house. Does that mean it's my house now? You know? <laughs> yeah. And it's one of my favorite books that I saved is one of my favorite um, from one of my classes. There was pre-Socratic philosophers. So um, for philosophers before Socrates and like, we don't have a lot left from them. That's just a long time ago and not a lot of things have kind of been saved. And so reading some of that and trying to interpret and, and just try to understand kind of what was what was being talked about. And the analogy that our professor made that I just loved was it would be kind of like, uh, you know, a thousand years from now, people just finding a bunch of bumper stickers. <laughs> and they're just you don't have the cultural context to know what they meant, but you have these weird slogans. And so it's just kind of like studying that, which. I just thought it was really fun, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of where that's my, that's my dive into historical context that um, I have in my back pocket whenever I am able to talk about it. So thank you for coming on that journey with me. Oh no, I, that's great. I love it. I mean, and that's why we have you here. And I think it's, I don't know. I haven't really been paying attention to the timestamps, but I suspect that that, that might be the longest we spent on any of these skills or any of these skills so far, but um, yeah. So um, moving right along to Witherbloom, Witherbloom is another one where it's kind of difficult to find uh, like use of books in directly referencing Witherbloom uh, students because Witherbloom tends to get its magic from other beings. I'm sure like a Witherboom student will have to spend a lot of time looking at textbooks to see, you know, how many pests you need for like this specific potion and so on. But also uh, Witherbloom get not only their magic, but their knowledge from uh, living things. Uh, so like one of the deans of Witherbloom uh, <laughs> it w will like drain the life out of things and then the other dean will use the things that he's killed to research anatomy and research how that creature could be used as a source of uh, magic for um, their creative works which is really uh, it's really it's really interesting because you know um, if you've ever been to a job where somebody who's been at that job forever leaves, you kind of have an idea of the, the kind of the amount of the, the, the power that uh, people have as like sources uh, and wells of information. Yeah. So Weatherbloom is another hard one along, alongside Pr Prismari to like directly relate to books, but uh, the, the, 
the kind the thing to take out of Witherbloom is to uh, to kind of see where life fits in. Whereas, you know, for example, Lorehold takes a lot of its cues from history and things that have already happened. Witherbloom, the, the magic is literally alive because it's based on the living creatures that it's drawn from. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a thing where to talk about kind of where these colors are different from, from the past. And, and we'll see, I'll be honest, I haven't looked at the cards too much, but from at least the flavor and the story I've seen, I think Witherbloom, there's a similar cycle of life and death thing that, that the Grixis have, but it feels like the, the Witherbloom emphasis is more on the life side of the equation. Mm-hmm. The Grixis tended to be more on the death side. And so you even sort of in what they do and in that same examining of that same cycle, they're kind of using it differently and learning from it differently. Um, and some of that may be the context too of, of a school as opposed to kind of a guild as part of, you know, the, the structure of a, of a society. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I love is this absolute point where flavor was just completely nailed. And that's with Guillaume uh, master chef. Was mm-hmm. from the Commander twenty one, twenty twenty one, sit like Witherbloom deck, and the text of the card doesn't matter. But <laughs> <laughs> what does matter is the the kind of idea of uh, a Witherbloom being represented by a chef, because what you're doing is you're taking the ingredients and you're mixing them together. And like I said before, you might be following a recipe, but there's also some amount of uh, what is the word improvisation mm-hmm. where <laughs> you're taking whatever you have or you know something you might have the wrong kind of potatoes or a different kind of potatoes and that will change the texture of what you're making or it'll change the flavor of what you're making and so that is it's just I love it it's a it's it's very flavorful Mwah, chef's kiss literally, <laughs> literally. I love it. <laughs> I mean, and it, it fits kind of with the seasonality of, of fresh ingredients and live things too. We have that in the, you know, age of, of freezing and, and mass shipping and planes, we don't have to pay attention to what season things are actually grown in as much anymore. But in a time, you know, where it talks about his story using local ingredients and an ever-changing menu. And that makes sense with those, whatever, whatever's growing now, what is near and, and that fits that, that flavor. And also to transition us so smoothly, I have to point it out. I think one of the things that I loved about these representations is that these are the bio majors. These are the people who the, the Witherbloom kind of pay attention to that where on, uh, Ravnica, it's the blue-green. And here we get a very different interpretation of, of how blue-green can interact. Yeah. I hope you were ready to move on to yes, Quadrix. Yes, I, I, I was, actually. <laughs> okay, I was, I was, that, was a, that was a great transition because, yes, we, we see um, the Quandrix are the, the, the math people where they, they take the impossible and boil it down to a series of equations to make it happen and that's where the magic comes in and if you are like me uh and don't have a great head for numbers all magic all math seems like magic Um, (laughs) i love it i think it's really cool um and the my experience with math education oh and this is a this is a sidebar that i wanted to throw in because um this is like the setting of the set right um, and it's that the kind of university experience is really different for everyone. And, um, I've talked about mine. You've talked a little bit about yours. Um, and it's not like, I, I think that you don't need to necessarily go to, and this is, this is me saying, I don't think people need to go to school to have really deep interests like the ones that are represented in Strixhaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you don't have to have majored in Latin to think history is really cool or something like that. And I just wanted to throw that out there. Yes, um, absolutely. Because I think that college is either like inaccessible for one reason or another uh, for a lot of people, or it's just like not 
the right fit for people. And I think that it's important to kind of, to acknowledge that. Yeah. <laughs> Just, oh, thank you. I, I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. And, and so like, a lot of these people are just people who are super passionate. Uh, a lot of these characters that we're talking about are just people who are super passionate about the things that they're doing. Um, so going back to Quandrix, those people are very, very passionate about numbers and the the kind of education and the, the book knowledge side comes from learning the rules uh, and learning how to do the things that they're doing. And the creativity side, um, that green kind of adds to the blue is spinning off those uh, equations uh, into um, into huge monsters, basically, which is are, are represented by the fractal creatures that uh, Quandrix makes. And that's also a really fun way to uh, do some green things with some blue technology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like for example, uh, in the commander set, the uh, the the face cards. Uh, or the face characters of that set are uh, a card that takes your tokens and makes them into bigger tokens or more tokens, um, depending on what you're using. Um, but also I think it's interesting that there is a bear professor um, that is green rather than blue. And the the bear professor like has creatures with no abilities matter text on it, which... Um, me, like it kind of shows that green has that interest in knowledge too, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily tied to any specific abilities or any specific like doing special things. Like the the knowledge for the sake of knowledge is how I kind of see Rook the Patient Professor, which is the card that I'm referring to. Yes, um, and so you'll have things like magic. Like numbers basically making a fract, like a mathematical equation, just into a real thing. And then you'll also have things like uh, Zimone, Quandrix Prodigy, who is the, the student uh, legendary creature for Quandrix. And Zimone, it, her whole like flavor is working really hard on getting knowledge and growing that knowledge, um, which I, I think is like a really cool mix of blue and green. Mm-hmm. Also, she's a, her card is a legend that does things with lands and that is kind of like right in what I love to do in Commander. So it's... Yeah, I am also a big fan of lands, although my uh, blue-green Commander deck, I have a Prime Speaker Zagana deck okay. and... The, the most math I do with that deck is counting the number of cards that I have in my hand <laughs> because I have a bunch of ca- uh, creatures that where their size is equivalent to the number of cards in my hand or like I'll sacrifice one of those creatures to greater good and suddenly double the amount of cards that I have in my hand. And it's just, I love it. <laughs> I had a... Um... Oh, I can't think of her name. Merfolk from from Dominaria. When you you play a land, you draw a card Tatiova. in your life. Tatiova. Yes, I, I had a Tatiova deck because um, actually it was a Tatiova Dollar General deck. So every every card in the deck was less than a dollar. Oh, that's wonderful. That was a thing that our local group was doing for a while, and with Dominaria having all those uncommon legends, like it made it a whole bunch of new decks for that format. And that was kind of the only land matters commander i could build at the time so i was like all right i'm building tatiova for for that format then yeah that that was a fun a fun deck yeah i (laughs) you can definitely get a lot of lands for under a dollar that's that's for sure um one other thing that i uh uh, wanted to point out about quandrix is mana um is like the literal equivalent to lands so there and so it makes sense that they're this they're the uh, college that deals with lands because they're the ones who are most interested in the more ephemeral like story Mm -hmm. idea of mana which is tied to locations um and our arcavios is uh, one of uh, is a plane where a lot of the magic is uh, geo- 
I almost said geometric, which tells you how much I know about math, geographic in nature. <laughs> which, is, which is interesting. It's It kind of goes back to, I guess, I don't know what they've done recently. I think they've maybe in the fiction stepped away a little bit from trying to talk about mana specifically. Because, I mean, ultimately, it's a gameplay mechanic created to facilitate gameplay. So it's hard to, to associate it with story. But the idea that the lands that you have kind of been to give you access to different types of mana, I think is always, at least for me, has always been really interesting and, and fascinating. So it's kind of cool that that's a, a thing sort of associated. Yeah. So, um, so that was Quandrix. And uh, we have two more subjects uh, <laughs> in uh, from Strixhaven to talk about. And the next one I wanted to talk about was the Biblioplex, which when I saw this, I was very excited uh, for um, for good reason. It's a giant library. I'm a librarian. There's probably a lot to do. Um, and this is where I get to talk about librarians a little bit more because I think that what everybody kind of pictures when uh, I said that I was going to library school and now my job title has the word librarian in it, um, is kind of the, the picture of somebody sitting in a big room full of books and checking them out and then putting them back on the shelves when they get returned, which is a very important uh, function of librarians and library staff because um, books are still one of the primary ways that we as a, a, a society not only transmit knowledge, but share ideas and uh, like, share emotions like we were saying like the books that we talked about at the beginning of this episode are books that made us feel good and um a library is uh, like a, a good place to bring that to a community um without having the members of that community uh need to pay like an exorbitant cost to have access to it which is great um but libraries also serve as like repositories for knowledge. If you go to a library in uh, in a university, which is something that once uh, you are able to do so safely again, I recommend you can look around and uh, look at these books and think, boy, does anybody actually read these anymore? And I'm here to tell you the answer is no, not always. Um, <laughs> Libraries uh, can also, and like museums are uh, a functionality of like some library science degrees where uh, they're also a good place to store books to be more of a historical, like a historical artifact than uh, necessarily a source of knowledge. Like I'm never going, well, not never, but <laughs> um, I might not look to a book from 1930 to find out what information it can tell me about butterflies. But I will look to a book from 1930 to see what people from 1930 thought about butterflies, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that's where libraries get interesting. And the Library of Strixhaven, known as the Biblioplex, is home to the Mystical Archive. Um, if you've seen uh, art from Strixhaven, you will, and uh, by the way, when we are talking about this, this is the first day that Strixhaven is out on Magic Arena, and it hasn't been released in paper yet, so um, neither of us have gotten, uh, I haven't gotten my hands on any physical cards yet, even though I, I would love to, but the Mystical Archive are cards from outside the set of Strixhaven that have really cool art treatments that are then added to the packs. And um, they, they represent uh, the impossibly large wing that is said to contain a copy of every spell ever created in the multiverse. I am reading now from the Biblioplex brochure that was delivered to my house with my uh, orientation materials for Strixhaven. Uh, <laughs> and the, the kind of idea of this never-ending library that has all of the possible information in the multiverse is, to me, a working librarian, kind of a pain because you should be able to curate that a little bit, probably, <laughs> um, but also kind of a, a literary motif that um, some like uh, 
magical realism writers have tackled. And it's just, it's a very interesting concept because there's, that's all, that's a lot of stuff. And it kind of means that the possibilities are endless, but also your ability to find what you're looking for is a little bit limited, mm-hmm. um, which there, are, I, I did like that some of the cards from, uh, from, uh, Strixhaven or represent staff of the library. <laughs> yeah. Like there's uh, like a cogwork archivist and um, there's, I'm sure there are other ones, but cogwork archivist is my favorite one because cogwork librarian was, uh, continues to be my favorite art uh, pretty much from all of magic. And it's just, it's a cute little uh, robot putting books back on the shelf but Cogwork Archivist is another one where it it's keeping track of all of those books. Um, going back to the inability of others to, uh, of being able to sift through all of that knowledge to find specifically what you're looking for. Uh, I have a solution for you, Alex. Oh yeah. It is Cody. The, the vociferous codex uh, <laughs> um, and I think this is uh, the thing that like when it was spoiled a lot of my friends were like Morgan did you see this book it's it's a book Morgan and the answer is yes I did uh, <laughs> um, so Cody is uh, a three mana artifact. It's a one four creature. You can't cast permanent spells when Cody's in play. However, you can pay four and tap it to produce Wooberg. And when you cast the next spell this turn, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile an instant or sorcery card with lesser mana value. Until end of your turn, you may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Put each other card exiled that way in the bottom of your library in a random order. So. One of the things that I do in my job is um, search, uh, not search, not search engine optimization. That's a different thing, but search improvement, which is basically uh, helping people find, making sure that people find the thing that they're looking for when they're looking for it. And Cody reminds me of that because uh, he takes whatever that you're looking, whatever you cast, whatever spell you cast, and just uh, kind of spins it off into something else that you're interested in. And that's kind of the way that information um, works in a lot of ways. Uh, one good example of this in the real life is Wikipedia. I don't know if you've ever fallen down a Wikipedia hole. <laughs> Spent a lot of time on Wikipedia. Where um, you're looking at one topic and you find a name or a place or an event that looks interesting and you click the link to that and then suddenly you're on something that is tangentially related. Um, one of the things that we also do as people is say, well, if you enjoyed X, you'll probably enjoy Y. For example, uh, if you enjoy Agatha Christie, you'll probably enjoy Sherlock Holmes, stuff like that. Um, so Cody is kind of the uh, the embodiment of that sort of concept. Uh, one of the things about Cody is uh, it the its origins uh, are seem to be that it is so old and has so much knowledge that it just kind of came to life, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, where kind of like knowledge bases tend to take on their own kind of attributes uh, if they have enough stuff crammed into them, basically, because one of the things we do as librarians is curate things towards a specific goal. Uh, and there's there's an amount of intentionality behind it. Well, Cody's information got so intentional that he just became a real boy. Um, and it wanders around. This is from the... Uh, wizards uh, article on legends but 
it wanders around the university in a huff, constantly reading its own text aloud. If it catches you taking interest, it will follow you around for hours until you're driven off in, into a fit of frustration. And this is kind of representative of, you know, the amount of time that you can spend on looking into subjects that, <laughs> that you didn't necessarily mean to. Um, but also it kind of reminds me of Clippy from Microsoft Word and I had to say it out loud. So now you're cursed with that knowledge too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, now now I will I will see Clippy every time I, I see Cody and it's, it's especially prominent in the Magic Arena version. Oh, it's got the little googly eye on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for those of you who are too young to know, uh, <laughs> Microsoft terrible. Word used to have uh, like a little animated uh, paper clip, which is a thing that in the olden days before <laughs> computers, people used to use to hold paper together. Um, and it would pop up. And if you started writing like, dear so-and-so, it would pop up and say, it looks like you're trying to write a letter. Do you want help? And um, then you would say no, because you probably already knew what you're going to write. And when it came to writing like essays for school, it was no help at all. So uh, it has since been replaced by the much more subtle help search function in later iterations of Microsoft programs. But I think that people in kind of our era who are using computers when computers were doing all sorts of wild stuff to kind of just see what stuck, uh, it's one of the things that happened. Really good. Do you have anything else you want to share anywhere else? Um... Yes, I would love to tag uh, one of my favorite things on the internet, which is the tagger on Scryfall. If you are like me and want to know what every, and this is by far, like I've had it on my to-do list to go through and update the book tagger for a while, but I haven't. But if you go to tagger.scryfall.com and uh <laughs> You can search for a uh, book as a tag and it will bring up all of the cards that have been tagged as having a book in the artwork. And that kind of gives you a, a better idea of how books have been kind of portrayed as like tools for magic. And it's, it's really neat. I like it a lot. <laughs> yeah. And, and like that tool in general is it kind of goes to what you were talking about with the, uh, the curating knowledge and, and things like in, in a little way, Scryfall is, is kind of like, you know, this, the archive of all the magic cards that exist and it's hard to sometimes sift through it. Obviously there's, if you're looking mechanically for something, you, you know, what colors you're looking for, you know, what type of card, but that little, the little tag tool is great for other things. Like when you're looking for books or you're looking for more story driven things, yes. it's Scryfall. They've done a lot of work to, to help people find cards that they're looking for. Yes. And I'm sure you, you all could benefit from this too, where you could search for goblins and you find cards that aren't necessarily goblin creatures or goblins or have the word goblin in the name, but feature art that contains goblins and might be flavorful if you're looking for more things to do with goblins. Yeah, I mean, there. This has actually been a while now, but there was an episode we did about goblin flavor text, and and I used Scryfall searches to find more than just things that were type goblin. Yeah, um, I know. I think I used the flavor text search, and I might have used the, that one as well. But there's, they've got a bunch of tools for that, which is cool. Yeah, so I wanted to I wanted to shout them out here while I had the microphone. All right. Well, cool, Morgan. It was it was great having you. Thank you for. We're coming on with all of this, dropping all this knowledge about, about Strixhaven, especially I, I'm assuming it'd be a great episode for the listeners. And it was great for me because as I said, I've been, I'm working on moving lately, so I haven't had a chance to pay much attention to this set, despite the fact that from every indication, this looked like a set that I was going to be really interested in. So I can't wait to, when the cards come out, dig into that, but it was, it was great to have this talk with you and, and learn more about the, the schools and and books yeah absolutely thank you again for having me on and that's our show for today you can find the host on twitter hotsku can be found at hotsku and alex newman can be found at mel underscore send any questions comments thoughts hopes and dreams to at goblin on twitter 
or email us at goblinlordpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support your friendly neighborhood gobsmites, the cast can be found at patreon.com slash goblinlordpod. Opening and closing music by Vindergotten, who can be found on Twitter at Vindergotten or online at vindergotten.bandcamp.com. Logo art by Steven Raphael, who can be found on Twitter at Steve Raphael. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Tipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content, as well as magic content of all kinds. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you all for listening, and remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.